Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1, Season 3, Episode 20, Maternal Instinct. And with us is our very good friend and soon to be yours. Please welcome Karen. Yay. 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 Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to finally be here. So before we get into this episode, whenever we have guest hosts, we'd like to talk a little bit about your history with the show. So like, what got you into the show? Had you seen the movie? Why did you start watching it? Just tell us everything. Okay. Yes, I saw the movie when it came out. Um, Did not watch the series until the third season. Okay. And it was because of my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I had always wanted to and just never found that window of opportunity. Sorry, let's log that in for the first time today. Um, but then he finally had it on and I sat down. So he does say, well, I got you to finally watch it. It was on like the forever list. But yes, I sat down with him and it was literally my whole life until we got current. Um, and then it just, you know, it was a live experience until it ended. Mm-hmm. And one day I Googled like, you know what? Would that be so cool if there was a Stargate convention? <gasps> and I Googled it and I kid you not, three days later <gasps> was the Creation Con by my house. That's fantastic. And I went and I saw you, Carrie. Who, me? Getting what? whipped by Braytac, my very <laughs> favorite. Hence, I'm on this episode talking about this one. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the next year actually met you officially mm-hmm. um and then the rest is history but that's where it started finally sitting down and loving every minute of it and then not being able to stay current for a while so then we did have to do the netflix catch-up mm-hmm. and then it was dvd <laughs> we subscribed and got the three dvds at a time so we could get caught up oh. because we started to lag and then we decided we didn't want to play slow catch-up because then it was just haphazard Mm-hmm. We waited and then did a season at a time and then got ourselves back current again. So it was really fun doing it that way. Well, that sounds awesome. Man, so you had to wait until you could get the whole season and just watch it? Ooh, that yeah. would have been just nail-biting. That was quite, that was torturous. But, you know, back in the day, it wasn't like you could just, like, jump online and find it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, because <laughs> we didn't have what we have now. Mm-hmm. It was so long ago. So it was a matter of playing the waiting game. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I myself didn't watch the show until Carrie introduced me to it when it was all over. Thus, we are learning that since I binge watched oh. watch the whole freaking thing when Carrie loaned me the DVDs, I have since forgotten a good half of them. And so these podcasts are really fun because it really is like I'm rewatching it. Yeah. <laughs> for the first time. And it's really exciting when I'm like, oh, wait, no, I remember this one. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, so when we asked you to come on, we asked you for, you know, a couple of your favorite episodes. And this was one of the episodes you picked that you would like yes. to join us on. So what is it about this episode that made you want to, like, come on and, like, talk about this one? Let me say, it's all about Braytac, Braytac, and more Braytac is what it all comes down to, (laughs) essentially. My very first favorite character was Mm -hmm. Braytac. Oh, okay. And my my love of Braytac and Tony Amendola playing that character has been number one for me forever. 
I just okay. remember the the old days at the Wyndham, like when he would show up, everyone would be reaching out to me like, we saw we saw Tony going around the corner by the <laughs> lobby bar. And so then I would go and just like watch because I didn't want to like meet bananas. Yeah. I mean, I did, but I wasn't always bananas. And so that's really where it stemmed from that. And then kind of the intro to Ascension. So it was kind of a couple yeah. of things there. Yeah. That was, that was, uh, it was just, there was just so much of this one that I really liked it. Okay. Which I have, like, when we get through this episode at the end, I have a very, I think, interesting question sort of related to that and how it impacts this episode. We'll see if we agree with you if it's actually interesting. Oh. Well, it's not (laughs) not that kind of question. (laughs) I mean, actually, it kind of is that, but we'll see. Because it was like, as I was going through this and sort of making my notes and commentary, I'm like, but, hmm, so... We'll see. Yeah, there is a lot. Of, there is. <laughs> I think I'm already agreeing with you. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, are we ready to get into this episode and talk about it all and figure out what we think? Let's do it. Break it down. Okay. So this is Maternal Instinct. It originally aired on February 25th, 2000. It was written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Peter West. And in this episode, Braytac arrives at Stargate Command with a wild story about interplanetary warfare with Apophis. Daniel deduces that the battle is over Apophis's child, the Harcesis, and races to save the child before Apophis finds him first. So we start in the SGC with an incoming wormhole, and they eventually receive a GDO signal from Special Code 2. And this is Braytax GDO. So this is just one of those like fun little tidbits that we get about how the SGC works. So Braytax has GDO special code two. And he comes through with like a very badly injured Jaffa with him. And we have a our, our first of three Vancouver actor bingo alerts in yeah. this episode for Aaron Douglas as the injured Jaffa Mowak. And, you know, pleads for our help. And then we cut to Tilk sort of exiting exiting an elevator and running down the corridor toward the infirmary as the injured Jaffa is taken off to one of the operating rooms. And Tilk asks Braytac what happened because he's kind of covered in blood, but Braytac's like, I'm fine. This, like, this isn't my blood. I'm okay. And tells Tilk that Chulak was attacked, dramatic pause, by Apophis. What? What? Apophis is dead, oh. isn't he, as far as SG-1 knows? But... Isn't he dead again? Again, as we cut to the opening credits. That's a pretty dramatic opening to an episode, I think. Yeah. So we come back from the credits, and up in the briefing room, we get Braytac telling SG-1 again that Apophis is not dead. This is now the second time Apophis has shared this news again. with SG-1. And Tilk tells Braytac, you know... I'm going to go back and help. And Braytac's like, you, there's nothing to do. Like, the fight is over. Like, we lost. This is done. And Sam is confused as to why Apophis would just attack all of Chulak, given that, like, all of the Jaffa didn't rise up against him. And Daniel chimes in with, well, it's easier to just kill everyone than try and figure out who's actually a traitor. And Hammond then gets a call and tells Braytac to get down to the OR ASAP. And unfortunately, they are they are not able to save Moak, who's Southern Jaffa, and so he dies, which is no. very sad. Yes. And Tilk says he'll take care of burning the body, I'm guessing sort of like in accordance with Jaffa custom. And Braytac talks a bit here about how like 
it's basically one of those, I'm just getting too old for this kind of speeches Mm -hmm. where, you know, he's just, he's getting old, his time is coming. And they then talk a bit more about how strange this attack was and that like, you know, Gould don't do this and the Pafas could have just wiped them out from space. But instead, you know, the Jaffa were sweeping through Tulak as if searching for something. Oh my God, it's the Harsesis, Daniel says. Is it weird that at no point in time do they mention Tilk's family? Where did we leave them? Were they still on Chulak? Um, Because the last episode we saw them was where she got remarried. Wow, what did happen? Why am I not remembering what happened? She got remarried, and or was it the episode where, like, Ryak was brainwashed? It's the episode where Ryak was brainwashed. Um, Family? Yeah, okay. Let's see what happens at the end of Family, if I remember. So I think it just ends with them, like, sending Ryak and Dreyak just somewhere else to, like, not back to Chulak. Okay, so we think that they were somewhere else. Yeah, let me double check. But that is, yeah, because otherwise they definitely would have mentioned. Let me scan this real quick. Oh, they send them to the they send them to the land of light with Tuplo. Oh okay. yeah, that's okay. right. Where they send everybody who needs help. <laughs> just go so, there to get that first. And just send them to the land of light where everybody goes. So um, at this point in time, you think they'd be like, oh god, more more people? More? No. Right, stop. We don't. No. We're done stop. now. We're done. No. Okay. Um. So yeah. So uh, Tilk and Braytac are in Daniel's office, and Tilk and Daniel fill Braytac in on the existence. Of the child of Ammonet and Apophis, and Bertak is like, that's forbidden. They're like, we know, but it's a thing. And all that they know is that the child was taken to a place called Keb. And apparently Bertak has heard of this place, but thought it was just a legend. And his father had told him the story about how the place was found by some Jaffa and kept secret from the Gould. And he says, it's an old tale about a place discovered long ago by a few Jaffa and kept secret from the Gould. When they, the Jaffa, could no longer carry a primta, they would make their journey to Keb. There, their Kalak would learn the path through the darkness into the next life, with Kalak meaning soul. So then some ghouls found out about this place and went there but never returned, and it's been forbidden to talk about ever since. And apparently Braytak's father liked to tell the story because if the ghouls are these all-powerful gods, why are they afraid of anything? Mm-hmm. Which is a very good question. It is a very good question. I like that line. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, Braytac does not know the gate address of Keb, and the only information Daniel has is from some Earth mythology that Osiris hid there from Seth. And this story, though, is familiar to Braytac, as um, Osiris hid from Seth in a group of planets where the Gould no longer visit because all of their resources were depleted, and those that sort of group of addresses Braytac does know. So they go see Sam to look through the master list of gate addresses and Braytac spots one that's familiar to him. That's what like sort of in, in the system that they're looking for. And near it in the list is a gate address that's in red. So apparently like the listing isn't just random. Like there's a sort of grouping of planetary systems, if you will, in the gate address master list, if you will. Um, and so the addresses um, that are from the Abydos cartouche are in like yellow 
and the addresses are that are in red are those that Jack input from when he had the knowledge of the ancients downloaded into his brain. So if Keb is a place that the ghoul don't want anyone to know about, it wouldn't be on the Abydos cartouche. So it's that one. We found it. Yay. It was the only one the ghoul didn't include on their map. So it's like, yes. Hmm, curious. Mm. Must be that one. Or at least it's a good place to start. Yeah. 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 So they get the go-ahead from Hammond to go see if this is really Keb with Jack asking for backup. Finally! Finally, they actually ask for backup. Finally! <laughs> they ask a couple so, times. Well, they not as often as they should, as we no. have learned. No, in this episode, a couple times, like at the beginning oh, and yeah. at the end. Yes. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. So Finally learning. Apparently, Robert C. Cooper knows how to write requiring backup, but nobody else does. <laughs> um, so Ham is like, all right, SG-2 will go with you. And Baytag's like, I'm going too. And like, let's just hope they get there before Apophis does. And so head through the Stargate. We exit on what we hope is Keb. And Jack orders SG-2 to stay at the gate. And they'll check in every 30 minutes. And here we have our second Vancouver Rector's Bingo with Steve Basic as Major Coburn. Yay. Mm-hmm. Who we will see later as not Major Coburn, but we'll get to that (laughs) when we get to that. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Recognize that voice, though. It's such a distinct voice. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, hello. Stay basic if you're looking away from the screen. Yep. It's like, I know that one. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they head off to find the temple because... Part of the legend that uh, Braytech talked about earlier was there's like mountains and forests and like a temple. So they're going to find this singular temple they believe exists here on Keb. And uh, they spot some footprints. And so um, Tilk and Braytech do their little like tracking thing. And Tilk's like, there were six Jaffa. And Braytech's like, no, it was eight. Ha ha. <laughs> it's such a great scene. It when is. they're like, they're sick. No, they're eight. No, and then it's just the, well, it was when they say that it was a woman uh, in a, a little bit not in quite, a little bit sorry little not bit. quite yet we're not quite to the woman yet we're, but soon um so but unfortunately so jaffa have been here though which means that they unfortunately did not beat apophis here and just this little scene ends with just a very pretty close-up of daniel for no reason whatsoever other than they can <laughs> because why not because why not exactly yes um, so they're continuing on their trek and Braytech is sort of mentioning like to Tilk that he'll soon reach the age where he can no longer carry a symbiote. So this is also interesting information we're learning about the Jaffa here, that at some point, like they age out of being able to just physiologically carry a symbiote, which is very interesting, I think. It is. So, yeah. yeah. So if this is Keb, this might be rather fortunate timing for Braytech. If he's going to age out of this whole being a Jaffa thing. How old is he again? He's over 100. Is he like 150? Uh, 138? No, in this episode, he said, in my 135 years, he says in this episode. So when he got to that scene, that's right. I was thinking ahead about the, you know, when they found more people. But one of the lines I love is when Tilk says, you've been a, you know, Master Brajak, you've been unusually silent. (laughs) So it just was funny. It was like one of those like, (laughs) normally a gabber, but not right now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that kind of led into it where he explained it. But earlier he had mentioned about his 135 years. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Braytac's getting up there in age a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, So they then come across 
more tracks where the Jaffa stopped. So they say two Jaffa went ahead and then came back with a woman because the third set of footprints are smaller and lighter and in the shape of a sandal that like Jaffa priestesses wear. And that they then ran off into the woods because the footprints become very spaced apart and quite heavy. So it indicates somebody running. And they posit that this woman could have been the priestess that Amanat had entrusted with her child. Walking on through the woods, Daniel, like, smells something. And so he (laughs) and Sam move ahead a bit. They're kind of like, they're spread out a bit as they're walking through this sort of foresty area. And he and Sam kind of move ahead a bit and dig through some bushes. And there's like a bird that flies out and startles them and... Jack's like, everything okay? And Sam's like, it's fine. It's just a burn. And Daniel's like, uh, actually, there's no. this, like, dead charge Jaffa right here. Found it. Yeah. Found it. So. A couple of Jaffas side by side, burnt to a crisp. Yeah. And the whole thing is weird because, like, the bodies are completely burned, but nothing around them is. So it's not like they died and then were, like, set fire to rid evidence or something. Yeah. And they're like, like, lightning, maybe. And Jack starts to go, or maybe it was, uh, and then Tilka interrupts him as, no, there's no kind of weapon that I know that could do this. And Jack goes, a weapon, (laughs) which (laughs) (laughs) I just like, this is how well these people have gotten to know each other, that they can like finish each other's sentences. So, so great. But when, when Daniel looked to Sam and just was like, smell that. I thought, oh, something's coming and it's going to be good. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, why does it smell like a barbecue? Cause (laughs) (laughs) I thought it like. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't say, like, it smelled delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It was so good. (laughs) Smell that. Braytech then kind of calls out, and he's found another body, which is the Jaffa woman. She is also unfortunately dead, but is not burned like the other bodies were, and appears she's just been shot, unfortunately. I mean, she is still dead, so that's not great, Um, but wasn't burned, which is interesting. And so... From this whole situation, Braytac is able to determine exactly what happened. Uh, He says, the priestess was being escorted to the Stargate by two of the Jaffa. When they met the others, she realized she was in danger. She attempted to flee. They chased her and shot her. Then someone or something attacked them. And everyone else is like, really? You you can go? And Tilka's like, yes. He knows exactly what happened, so... The only thing they don't know is, like, what happened with the boy. The only thing they are able to figure out is that the woman was carrying him because her hands weren't bound. So someone was trying. And she was shot low. Yeah. Yeah. And she was shot low, like, in the stomach, not, like, up in, like, the chest or anything. Yeah. So. I just like the way O'Neill's, like, he's always, like, got that negative thought processes you can't know that for certain. That's what Joke's like. Yes. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. It's just so good. I started forming in my brain like Braytech as a guest star on Law and Order. Or- oh. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Law and Order Tulak. Yes. That is totally Law and Order Tulak. That is the best. That'd be amazing. Oh my god, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> I'm picturing. I'm sure we that. all are. I, yeah. I'm like I've got I got him in like the detective suit and tie. Yeah, mm-hmm. but still with, with still with, with the, the headdress. Head Still yeah. on. That's yeah. so good. The headpiece on there. That's good stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Oh, my God. Law and order, too. Like, okay. Um, <laughs> that they, needs to be a t-shirt. Sorry. Yeah. Somebody make it. Somebody out there who's listening, make us a law and order, too. Like, t-shirt. <laughs> we will buy it. <laughs> we will buy three of them. <laughs> Each. 
Oh, by all of them. Um, <laughs> so they do then mention that, like, given how long the Jaffa have been dead, like, Apophis should have sent more Jaffa to, like, follow up on why these Jaffa didn't come back, but it seems like he didn't. And then they kind of look up and you see the temple and it's like, so this is Keb. We got, yep, we got it. This, this is Keb. <laughs> this. Here, we found it. Yep. So they finally reach the temple. And before going in, Daniel kind of, like, takes off his pack and like weapons and jack's like what you doing and daniel's like i just this just feels like the kind of place we we should do just you know calm and easy and not like gun blazing kind of a thing here the landscaping was amazing it was very nice yes yes very zen Mm -hmm. so jack also takes off like his pack but keeps his gun which is interesting but then braytac hands tilk his staff weapon and so we have daniel jack and braytac entering the main temple building and they're looking around and there's nobody immediate immediately in sight. And then we get one of those cool camera tricks where Jack suddenly turns around and there's like a monk standing there all along. Surprise. And here's our third of three Vancouver actors bingo with Tony Chen. Fabulous Tony Chen. So if anybody's gotten bingo yet, please write in and let us know because I mean, we do, we had three in this episode. So somebody's got to have bingo out there. Somebody's got to have bingo. Um, and so, yeah, he's this monk that just like speaks in cryptic riddles, which is very interesting. I couldn't figure out any of his riddles either. I was trying so hard. (laughs) Well, we'll get candlelight or the, oh, sorry. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to like that one. We will get that one. That's like the main one that comes up again. Um, so Daniel does his whole introductory thing that he always does. And the monk asks if they are there to seek oneness with Dasala. And Daniel translates Dasala as meaning nature. He then uh, cryptically asks them to take off their boots, which is, it's interesting that Braytac figures that little riddle out. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, Braytac's got a brain in him. Yep. And Jack kind of does the whole, I've been walking all day. I think it's probably better if I leave my boots on. <laughs> So uh, the monk then goes to sit in, um, there's a sort of eight-pointed star filled with, like, not really gravel, but kind of, like, very gritty, like, black sand in the middle of this temple. And the monk goes to sit there, and Daniel and Braytac start to take off their boots. And Jack just kind of leans down and is like, can we just, like, ask him about the boy? Like, just straight up, just ask. Let's just try and see if we can get straight to the point and ask. I'm really sure that's going to work. I, right. It's yeah, totally going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daniel goes to sit sort of opposite the monk and um, asks about the boy. But then we just get some more cryptic talk, which <laughs> Daniel says are Zen cones. And whatever religion this monk is following might be the basis of Buddhism. And um, whatever, like Jack's just getting annoyed that they can't just get a straight answer out of this guy. And Daniel's just like, just like, give me some time. Let's try and work through this. So, would you guys like to know some fun facts about Zen cones? Sure. I would love to. Okay. So, Zen cones are a story, dialogue, question, or statement, which is used in Zen practice to provoke the great doubt and to practice or test a student's progress in the study of Zen. The the Japanese term cone is the Sino-Japanese reading of the Chinese word gongan, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm probably horribly mispronouncing this, which I apologize for. I tried to look up pronunciations, but I really couldn't find anything. So I, I apologize if I am mangling 
these words, these, this is unfortunately not a language I'm familiar with. Um, so the, the Chinese term gongan is itself um, actually an article of furniture that was used when legal precedents were set. So it's like sort of like the desk that like legal decrees were like signed, like the judge signed off on these legal decrees on this piece of like a desk, if you will. Um, commentaries in cone collections bear some similarity, some similarity to judicial decisions that cite and sometimes modify precedents if we sort of are trying to relate it to sort of modern terms and things. Um, there's an article from the year 2000 by T. Griffith Fook, Falk, F-O-U-L-K, Fook, maybe, F-O-U-L-K. Yeah, um, could be folk. Folk, folk something. Um, that says, uh, its literal meaning is the table or bench of a magistrate or judge. So it kind of seems like Cone started as commentary on various legal decrees or also like commentary on teachings of other Zen masters. Interesting. So when this tradition was introduced to Japan, uh, the monks there actually had to learn the Chinese method of writing, including like syntax and grammar, which took a great deal of study. And so, the, I, you know, that took a very long time to master and where a lot of this came from. But this practice was then eventually simplified into specific instructions for incoming monks in three parts. So there was a standardized cone curriculum a standardized set of answers based on stereotypes of Chinese sayings, and a standardized method of secretly guiding students through the curriculum of cone and answers. Which reading that, like I, I looked up several articles about this because if, if the point of a cone is to sort of provoke thought and discussion, how, why are there standardized answers? As it, right. so it almost seems like it, it, there's, it's actually like a sort of call and response kind of thing which doesn't jibe with the whole thought-provoking thing, unless I'm just not understanding this. I read I, I read several articles, but also I read several articles on the internet. Please excuse me. Um, so I don't know if I'm just not quite understanding what's been um, written about it. I mean, I think that it may not necessarily be the exact response they're looking for, but it might have been the level of thought at which that you could tell someone was thinking about your question to see, you know, how how advanced into whatever level of thought they were getting into. Yeah. Like... How, like, you know, how do you get to this place if someone's just like, oh, turn left. But, like, if somebody eventually is like, well, first, you have to observe the trees. And, that you know, like, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's some sort of, I don't know. That's just what you I You have to turn right like, before yeah. you turn left. One yes, of those kind exactly. Of things, yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I was just, it, it kind of confused me a little bit. About. Well, it doesn't sound like you are very zen at the moment. Appar I'm, I'm apparently not very zen. Um, One of the things that I was, um, that I noticed in just O'Neill's snarkiness mm -hmm. was when they were walking up to like the temple in Keb and, you know, Carter is saying like, well, 
doesn't seem like there's a great welcoming party or welcome party. And he's like, well, someone's been reading Martha Stewart. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Jack. No. Yeah. Jack, Jack, Jack. Doesn't come off super awesome in this episode. <laughs> you know, he's kind a little snarky. And he's like an old crank sometimes. Yeah. And we still love him. But, yeah. yeah, when he says that, so you're just like, oh, gosh. These people have no idea who Martha Stewart is. So obviously not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so but we he cut- knows. He knows who Martha Stewart is. Yes. That says a lot. That shows That's that true. shows layers. That shows layers. He's snarky, <laughs> but he's got layers because he knows what Martha would say. That's so I kind of yeah. like that mm. dichotomy there. That is interesting, yeah. I hadn't thought about it from that side of things, yes. yeah. Oh, really? Honey, I know what's Martha. So I kind of like that. It kind of shows a little nugget of, oh, maybe you're reading the magazine or watching the show late at night. Who's to mm-hmm. say? Who knows what they do in their off time? Certainly not us. Not us. Not even remotely. Nope. Um, so we cut back outside quickly to Sam and Tilk who are still in the courtyard and they're keeping watch and they 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 both think things are kind of like spooky ooky a little bit and we see Tilk looking at a pond and there's this like thing reflection something that kind of moves through it and they're just like they're just like getting the creepos from this place like something's not sitting right with them and jack then comes out and lets them know about like the monk situation and they're probably going to be here for a little while so back inside the temple um the monk actually kind of helps braytack through his whole like impending death possibility uh like mentions sort of like the darkness in him and he needs to like let go of the darkness so like he can't be one with oma desala while he still has the symbiote and braytack kind of realizes he's not ready to die yet and like he still has more work to do but he's sort of very heartened that there is this kind of future ahead of him even after he's unable to carry a symbiote anymore so Braytech leaves and heads outside with a sort of like renewed vigor if you will and is like let's go Tilk we got more gold to kill let's go so then back inside with Daniel and the monk, Daniel finally figures out that Oma Desala is Mother Nature and Oma is actually German for grandma. So that's kind of where that comes from. And what's Desala? I didn't I didn't look up Desala. I just found <laughs> Oma. <laughs> well, because like Oma that's like was a term that was like kind of I was like, I know that Oma. Like what it was like I thought it was maybe Yiddish, but no, it's like German. But Yiddish kind of comes a little bit from German anyway. So I was like, wait, I know Oma. What is that from? Um, I think so, it's also very similar to what it is in Korean as well. It's oh. also, uh, it's in Korean and German. Yeah, yeah, German. Yeah. I was thinking, I had thought like Yiddish. It kind of sounds a little Yiddish-ish, but Yiddish-ish. <laughs> Yiddish-ish. Yiddish-ish. Um, but but uh, I know my, my uh, German friend of mine says Oma and Opa. Uh, yeah. And I had a Korean roommate who used the same terminology oh, in college. Okay. So it is. So there you go. All right. So the monk then asks Daniel why he wants the boy. And Daniel tells him that he promised his wife he would look after his wife's son, who is not his son, but still he will look after this child. And Daniel swears that the boy will be safe with him. And then we get the best Zen cone of all Zen cones to resonate throughout the rest of Stargate. 
because it is so clear, it takes a longer time to realize it. If you immediately know the candlelight is fire, then the meal was cooked a long time ago. And Daniel just has no idea what that means. So I decided to see if I could figure out what that means. Before I get into it, do you guys have any thoughts? I thought about it so hard. No. No. You know, me too. And I thought, okay, I'm seeing the candlelight. So that means the meal was cooked. How do I know? What if I just started the candle? What if it was just lit? How was it cooked long ago? I don't know, Mr. Monk. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. So this might actually be taken from an actual Zen cone that exists. That is called, um, so the name of this cone, apparently cones have names like like poems do, um, called uh, Joshu Washes the Bowl. And in this cone, so the commentary of the cone is what it is. Um, It says, it is too clear and so it is hard to see. A dunce once searched for fire with a lighted lantern. Had he known what fire was, he could have cooked his rights much sooner. So fire cooks food. If you have a candle, you have fire. So why are you looking for fire with a candle to cook your food when you have fire to cook your food? It's sort of the whole, like, you, you, you're, you're kind of, like, not realizing what you already have in order to do the thing you need to do. But you do have the thing that you need to do the thing you want to do. You already have it. You just don't know that you have it because you're not seeing it for what it is. I still don't see how that relates I to don't, the meal was cooked a long time ago. <laughs> because the know. candlelight is fire and the fire cooks the food, so therefore the meal is cooked because you have fire. Mm. It's a sort of like don't what, what don't if you lit the candle first and don't, you okay. lit the fire. You kind of have under to the cauldron. You kind of have to not think about time as a linear thing, but just time as like a thing that happens. Like if you have fire, then your food is cooked. You don't have to go searching for fire if you have a candle. Because you already have the fire because you have a candle. What if you've been eating sushi the whole time? What if you have an Instapot? How does this all tie in? (laughs) What would a millennial say? I'm trying to be serious here. Okay, I'm I'm listening, but I still don't. I'm not sure I always get it. I always get it. I don't know if I always get it. I don't know if I get it in this moment. Yeah. So if, if you know the candlelight is fire, then the meal is cooked. Because you have fire, so therefore you've cooked your meal. But, like, you can't think about it in terms of, like, one thing happens after the other. Just think of it as a whole wibbly-wobbly timey one. <laughs> but in that moment I'm just gonna that you go realized my... you had fire to light that candle, you know what? Your food is cooked. You have dinner. You're like Stegosaurus is not cooked. <laughs> the moment that you realize it's fire, you need a few more hours for a juicy Melt in your mouth, Stegosaurus. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to go with my favorite Zen cone will always be now you know and knowing is half the battle. The more you know. (laughs) So I know half. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I get, uh, should we just move on? Because I don't think we're going to come to a consensus on this. I think I figured it out. I think you've got it all set and I believe you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, You'll be the have... first one to ascend. <sighs> Thank you. You'll be flying around as light while I'm still <laughs> sitting by the candle trying to cook a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Huh. 
All right. So we have some kind of like brief time jump and Daniel and the monk are back sort of sitting in the middle of this sand gravel pit with an unlit candle between them. And basically the monk wants Daniel to light the candle using his mind. And Daniel's like, that's not something I can do. So the monk just does it. And he then asks Daniel to blow out the candle. And Daniel leans over and goes, it's like, he's like, that's not what I meant. And Daniel's like, I, I messed that up. Uh, so he lights the candle again and then asks Daniel to hold his hand in the flame, which Daniel does, and then pulls it back when it starts to burn. And Daniel's like, why did you tell me to do that? And the monk's like, why did you do it? And the monk is like, it's because you trusted me. And so you did something I told you to do because you trusted me. So don't trust that you can light the candle, but trust that Oma Dasala can. Which, now that we've seen the end of the episode, the episode could have, like, ended right there. But then we don't get the rest of it, so... Then it goes, psych. But he doesn't. Mm -hmm. So it's apparently now night, and we're back outside, and Jack's like, all right, we've been here long enough. We got to, like, move things along, and goes back in to sort of prod Daniel into finding out if, like, the boy is here, or if he's not, like, where did the boy go and stuff. And Daniel tells him all about the writings on the wall, and that there's some kind of guide to a higher plane of existence left behind by an ancient race of aliens. The monk is not an alien, but Daniel believes he was sort of left here as like a guide to help people get to this higher plane of existence by following the writings on the wall. Jack is obviously like, that's just a bunch of hooey because that's not a thing. And so Daniel sits back down and lights the candle with his mind. And Jack's like, that's cool. But like, we, where's the boy? This is great. But where's the boy? That we're, we came here for this boy. Where is he? So Daniel then, like, stands up and, like, makes Jack's gun float. Which Jack's like, hey, let's not play with guns because that's dangerous. And we then hear a noise from outside and we see a death glider fly overhead. Yes. Which that's just the best news ever in this situation. And Jack is headed back outside and orders Tilk and Braytech to go check that out. And for Sam to start laying down some claymores because shit's about to get started here. Yeah. Which we don't, I don't need. like that scene as much. It's it's very it's very pretentious Daniel when he gets all high oh, and mighty on knowledge. Oh, a like, little bit. Yeah. Like you don't understand. I'm learning how to be at a higher plane of existence and all knowledge and <sighs> And then it's like, no, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Which, do you think it's, why didn't Daniel record any of the stuff that's on the wall? Like, either, like, with video camera or, like, by writing stuff down? It's, I just, it seemed weird that Daniel didn't catalog any of the stuff in the temple. I blame it it on low battery. It was very weird. Like, the way he was acting in that scene, it it almost seemed as if he was, like, possessed by something or, like, like, yay, I'm joining a cult, you know, brainwashed. It was a little drunk on power-ish, which... Brainwashed is a great word, Rachel. Yeah. Because he seemed very, like, oh, I, I burnt my hand. Why did that happen? Oh, my gosh. This is all powerful. It was, like, a very quick... Yeah. yeah. Turn around. I agree with that. He was yeah. very haughty mm-hmm. right away. Which does come back later in season four. I think it is one of my favorite episodes ever of all time. Ever. Ever. Like ever. 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 Like 
possibly no is it season four or is it season which one? Five? Which, one? which one? Oh, it is season absolute power oh okay four. there you go yep mm-hmm. okay yep good times um, it's coming along yeah. soon stay tuned for that one um so anyway, so Jack then calls to Coburn over the radio to see, like, what's going on with them. And Coburn's like, gate's clear, so that's good. And so Jack then heads back inside to get Daniel because it's like, we have to go now. Like, this is, we can't dawdle anymore. We got to go. And we then get a shot of Braytech until, uh, like, walking through the forest. And they find that a ghoul mothership has landed with a very large squadron of Jaffa. So. Oh, man. Yay. Good times. Yeah. Uh, So Sam heads into the temple to tell Jack that the Claymores are good to go. And Daniel then shows her all the new awesome powers that he's learned with, like, fire. And she's like, yeah, no, I would really love to do tests because there's got to be some kind of technology thing happening. But we just don't have time to do that. And Daniel tells them that, like, he thinks this has all been a test from Oma Dasala to make sure that Daniel had the capabilities to be able to protect this boy and keep him safe, which um, oh, may, may, uh, maybe, sure, I, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know how he actually thought, like, yay, I learned telekinesis in a day. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be thing. amazing. It's been like They trusted me in 47 minutes or two yeah. hours. Yeah, it's like, really? I don't know. Um so Tilt and Braytech have returned and let everyone know that, you know, the mothership is there and is like, okay, cool, time to go. And Daniel tries to, like, post and be like, we can't leave because there's really awesome stuff happening here and turns back to the monk. But the monk has now disappeared. But bam, he's gone. That's interesting. And then, like, everybody else is gone back outside and it's just sort of Daniel in the temple. And there's this, like, disembodied light floating in front of him, but we only see it in, like, the reflection of his glasses. Which is really cool, just from, like, a filmmaking perspective. That was Mm -hmm. a cool effect. I think it's cool. And we get, like, a brief shot outside of, like, Jaffa sort of approaching through the forest as whatever's happening inside the temple happens. And the light then kind of coalesces into sort of the vague shape of a woman. Like, there's, we definitely have a a womanly face, but it's just still sort of a a light in a vague human-esque form. Um... And this person then floats slash walks through a wall. So Daniel goes over to touch that wall, but his hand just like passes right through. So he just walks right through it as well. And on the other side is that woman standing by a crib in which there is a baby. (gasps) There's the boy. Who shouldn't be that young based on when the child was born. Yeah. Yeah, this child, that this child should be like a year and a half old at this point. Yeah, that is a young baby. He's a, like he's going. Like, he's growing at halftime. That's like six months old. He should be like minimum a year old because we're we're still like not sure exactly how much time has passed in like in show terms. But if it's sort of parallel to like the airing of the show time, this is like it's been like a year and a half since this child was born. Like. This should not be a baby anymore, at least. But that's a discussion, I guess, for another time. Unless we want to just get into it right now and argue that why is this baby still a baby? Because it shouldn't be a baby. Maybe it's a a longer go-out gestational time. Which is interesting. Double elephant time. Maybe. Which is interesting because, like Sam had mentioned, when 
you know, the whole heresis thing happened in forever and a day, Sam was like, oh, so maybe the child is more advanced than a normal human child would be because it has all the knowledge of the gold. And this kind of seems like the opposite of that. Which is interesting. Well, maybe that wasn't even the baby. Maybe she, like, was just it's showing him. Decoy baby. Another baby. Yes, decoy baby. Decoy baby. Could be. Who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the age of hour approaching. So, like, got to go, like, right now. So Jack heads back inside. But obviously Daniel's not there anymore. And so he radios back to Coburn for them to return to the SGC to get back up. Yay! They've been paying attention to our memos. Yay! Extra backup. That's what's up. Yep. And so they, SG-1 then sort of set themselves up in defensive positions in, like, the courtyard of the temple to hold off the Jaffa when we see, like, dark, ominous clouds rolling in to, like, cover the moon in the night sky. The night sky was pretty neat. It was. I did. I do. I did like the art direction of like what the night sky looks like. It was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So inside the temple, Daniel is holding the child and is like, oh, thank you. I promise to take good care of him when he suddenly realizes, oh, wait, I didn't do any of that stuff that I did out there. That was all you, Oma Dasala. And you were trying to show me what your power was and that your child would be safest here with you. So Daniel puts the child back in the little crib thing to sort of fulfill the promise of keeping the boy safe that he had made to Sharae. That was a quick turnaround, though. I did this. No, it was you. It was. It, it, it really was. I mean, Daniel's a smart guy. So, but still, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think, like, what would make that suddenly dawn on him of, like, wait, oh. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't put my finger on how he would suddenly have that realization. No, I couldn't either, but it's what happened, so it's what is. <laughs> but he did! It, he it did. is. So, it is. Yeah. Just is. Mm-hmm. So the Jaffa enter, like, the temple courtyard, and the monk is there to greet them as just as everyone are still kind of hidden in cover for the moment. And the monk's like, you're not welcome. And the Jaffa are like, we don't care, and just shoot him. So that's awesome. Um, SG-1 then kind of like pop out from the cover, but like they're still mostly hidden, but they're like, hey, don't like drop your weapons, put them down, whatever. And then Daniel comes out with his hands raised and tells everybody, yes, please drop your weapons. And Jack's like, you heard him. And Daniel's like, not the Jaffa, you like SG-1, you guys need to drop your weapons and tells Jack about Oma. And if they don't put their weapons down, like, they'll be dead. And Sam's like, if we do put our weapons down, we're dead. And the Jaffa are yelling threats as they do because they're Jaffa and that's what they do. When Daniel goes, Jack, if you're ever going to trust me on anything, now is the time. The alien is one. The alien is the one with all the powers and she is not someone you want to fool with if you get my drift. Which, after the events of Shades of Grey, this whole, like, trust me between, like, Jack and Daniel's like, oh, my God. Mm." Like, yeah, it was pretty intense. It was yeah. really intense. Yep. So Braytac is the first to sort of agree with Daniel that they need to lower the weapons. So they all finally do. And the head Jaffa orders them all to fire. But the blasts from the staff weapons are stopped by this flying, glowing light. And then Daniel just goes, bye, as the Jaffa are all struck by lightning. And also the gliders that were flying overhead are also struck down by lightning. So cool, but also kind of gross and gruesome. Yeah. But yeah, it's just I just kind of love Daniel Snarky. Bye. Yep. 
because he like he knows what's gonna happen. And um, weird smell. Yep. And we then see uh, a light rise from the body of the monk before it flies off somewhere. So his soul, I guess, if you will, is is free now. And that means there's nobody there anymore to guide anybody. Nope. No. no. Which is not good for Braytag. Unless the monk is going to find somebody. Appoint somebody new. Appoint somebody new, possibly, maybe. Maybe. Designate his uh, his successor as proxy, whatever it might be. Hope so. Yeah. Hope so, yes. Uh, So Oma then comes out. So, like, this, the the glowing light woman is Oma de Sala comes out, like, carrying the child, and Daniel's like, oh, you're leaving, because, you know, the Javar here, and everybody knows where this is, so this place isn't safe anymore, and she kind of reaches out with the light tendril to, like, caress Daniel's face as she flies off with the child, and Jack's confused, because wasn't that, like, the child, didn't we, isn't that why we came here, to get that child, and Daniel's kind of looks at him, he's like, oh, so we just, no choice in this matter, okay, cool. Yep. Not child not going anywhere. So if he said that, what do you think would have happened if he actually did try to leave with a baby? If he didn't have his sudden realization of like, oh, wait a minute, I did nothing. I don't know. Do you think Oma would have been like, no, no, you're not. You're not catching what I'm throwing. (laughs) I don't Uh, think so. Like, well, I don't think Oma would have tried to like stop him because that's not what they're supposed to do. But I don't think she'd be like, hey, you're going to weaponize this baby. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah, because that's that's why they wanted the child to yeah. learn about the Gould and how they operate and work. So yeah. they could make countermeasures, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't like, I don't know. This is an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Write in with thoughts. Yes, please. Write in with your thoughts. With what Oma would have done if Daniel had actually taken the child. Because we don't know. <laughs> I feel like that bright light would have been like putting some lightning bolts in some areas. Maybe just like zapping his feet a little bit. A little zap, like, a little zippity like, zap to be like, nope, nope, uh-huh. nope. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Coburn then comes over the radio and says that they're back with reinforcements. Reinforcements, And Jack's like, that's fine. It's all good here. And then like the gate turns on as Oma approaches and he's like, Hey, there's this weird light. And Jack's like, stand out, like put your weapons down, back away. Like don't engage with this thing. Just like, let it do what it's going to do until she's gone. So uh, Oma flies off through the gate and everything's fine. And so, okay, time to head home. Cause nothing else to do here. And Jack turns to Daniel's like, are you okay? And Daniel's like, uh, yeah, I guess. Sort of. Also, Daniel, shoes. I like the end. Room. And shoes. And shoes. The end. Yep. And we, let's make everything okay with a funny line. Yes. So, my question about this episode is... Ooh, okay. Is this episode better because we know what comes after it? With, like, the the ancients and the ascended beings and the Harsesis and all of that stuff. Like, if we, if you were just watching this episode without all that knowledge, would it still be as good, do you think? And I don't know if this is a question we can answer because we know what happened. So it's kind of hard to not know 
all of oh, that you're stuff. Saying, like, is it is it a actual good intro, or if on its own, is it still good? Yeah. Like, is it only good because of what happens like three seasons later? Yeah. Wow. So, so if we never heard of the ancients again and the ascended people, would this still be an okay episode? Yes, essentially. Hmm. I feel like it'd be a, a little bit of a confusing bummer. Like they're gone by what Daniel thought he started candlelight and then he didn't. And then they're gone. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it'd be like a lackluster. Oh, I thought I was something, but I wasn't, but then they're just gone. If there was nothing ever, it'd be like, well, that was kind of mean. Yeah. Like you gave me your party trick, but it wasn't really my trick. It was yours. Right. Yeah. And then we see later that it goes deeper and all this Mm -hmm. other stuff. I think without the other stuff itself, it just feels like, oh, that was like a mean little party trick. Okay. So you think no. Like, if nothing else ever happened with any of these, if yeah. none of these storylines continued, this episode was, would not be good. Not that it wouldn't be good, but, but it would be, it would just feel like a mean trick on Daniel. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I'm going to answer with a Zen cone. Cone <laughs> it up. <laughs> if you know the destination, do you need to analyze the beginning? Do you need uh, to analyze the journey? Is a joke still funny, even though you know the punchline? <laughs> if a tree a falls qu- in the woods, wait, damn it. No, not that one. <laughs> the answer to that question is yes, because of <laughs> physics. But the, it's almost like, is a joke still funny, even though you never are told the punchline? Oh. If you never knew the future of it, and you ended on this episode, mm, how if- resolved would you feel? I yeah, I think I would probably feel a little cheated. Yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. well he got ripped off. He didn't like yeah. the fire and he burnt his hand a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we got out of that. It was just a burnt hand. <laughs> give him <laughs> give him a little salve and some <laughs> sterile bandages, but that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Um all right, Rachel, what memos do you got for us this week? Dog. Wear shoes at all times? No. Um, well, I, I don't mean, know, because they actually really did come up with backup. They did, like, yeah. Like, listen to them. Yeah. Hey. Is this a memo episode? It might be. <gasps> wow. Although, I mean, we could also go with the memo of Daniel Stop Touching Things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that is that is the perpetual memo. <laughs> I think this would be reoccurring. Daniel, stop touching me. Daniel, Daniel, stop putting your hand through a wall. Stop it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, So the episode title, Maternal Instinct. I think, you know, like there's Oma DeSala, who is mother and is, you know, looking after this child. We also have... Daniel trying to fulfill like Charay's maternal instinct to protect a child, which is interesting. Um, the other interesting thing is that all of the fer- foreign territories also just translated this as maternal instinct. So I have no oh. interesting territory titles for you. Wow. This week, unfortunately. That's like the first time ever. I know. Because when it comes to mama stuff, everybody's pretty like simpatico, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So final thoughts. What do we think? How, how, Karen, let's start with you. How 
is this, does this episode still hold up after all these years? What do you think? How do you rate this episode? Give us your like final thoughts and stuff. My final thoughts would be, yes, it still holds up in that we got to see Braytac, um, you know, just questioning so many different things. And as someone who's 135 years old, wondering like, oh, my gosh, this like folktale is like a real thing. And oh, my gosh, I'm this many years old. This might be my swan song. Like all these things, like his self-realization, it's it feels like it's got so much more weight than everybody else from SG1 who's like a third to a quarter of his age. Yeah. So I love that. That heaviness yeah. holds true no matter what because it's a folk tale that turned out to be real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It um, is, yeah. In that thing. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? I just remember watching it until the last episode. Whenever Braytech was in and there was some kind of scuffle happening, some skirmish, I was like – they better not kill Braytech. That was my standard line. My husband said, I'm mm-hmm. going to make you a shirt that says they better not kill Braytech. Because I would say that every time. Like, they better not kill Braytech. So having him question, mm-hmm. like, his, you know, mortality, that for me summed it all up. And you know what? The Jack one-liners were hilarious in this one. Ending with shoes, Daniel's shoes, mm-hmm. and him having to go back. It was there was enough to keep it funny, even though some of it was a little strange and quirky. And But you know what? It held up for my love of Braytac. It, it fulfilled everything I needed to see in a Braytac episode. Fantastic. I was going thinking- to hold out for uh, Law and Order Chulak. Yeah. Oh, yes. I was thinking an alternate title for this episode, because if you think about it, Braytech really did have like the greatest sort of character development in this episode totally. out of like mm-hmm. all of the characters. Like totally. you could also title this episode, How Braytech Got His Groove Back. Oh, Ooh. my goodness. Yeah. That's another T-shirt that has to be made. Yeah. I've got a lot of work to do on some of these sites that make yeah. T-shirts. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. There was a, He went yeah. through a lot himself. Yeah. He yeah. went through stages of his mortality, and it was just yeah. – it was a lot. Yeah. Okay. Rachel, final thoughts. And can I just second what Karen said? It was brilliant. I mean, I'll third what Karen said, because I concur. Yeah. Yeah. Do you concur? Yeah. I concur. I concur. <laughs> I concur. I concur. Doctor. Yeah. Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Doctor. Doctor. It holds it, up. It really. It does. It does hold up, especially without Braytech. It doesn't as much. It's it's an interesting yeah. episode, but it kind of is floundering out there until you get to those further seasons to find out about Ascension. Yeah. But with yeah. him. He ground, Braytech grounds this episode, mm-hmm. like yep. deep grounding, 135 years of grounding. And that's what yep. makes it valid. Yep. Ooh, that's so true. I yes. like it very well. Very nice. There is, I will say, one very big glitch in this episode. And I forgot to mark where exactly it happens. But uh, so in the scene, when they first get to the temple and Daniel's like taking off his like backpack and his jacket kind of slides down, you see that he's wearing a short sleeve T-shirt and then at some point when he's been in the temple for a little while, he's got his jacket off and he's wearing a long sleeve t-shirt. Oh, oh my gosh. Continuity that fell apart. Oh, yep. Man. It's like, why couldn't we have Michael Shanks' arms? Please, come on. <laughs> Apparently not. It was too much. Shout out to Michael Shanks' arms. <laughs> <laughs> that were not exposed. Yep. Because <laughs> then it would be too much and we'd all faint from the awesomeness. You would faint from the awesomeness. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mm. 
Uh, it's good stuff. I yeah. love that we just got to know, we got to know some definitive stuff in this episode, and that was yeah. great. Yeah. Great text stuff mm-hmm. that he learned from his father. Mm-hmm. Something that was a folktale that was real. Yeah. That was some, there was a lot of, you know, like pivotal, like, you know, foundation moments for, for Stargate yeah. that happened mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah. This, this episode definitely is one of the, one of the more important episodes for what comes in Stargate's futures in the future yeah. of Stargate. Yeah. That yeah. was why it was one of the two that I wanted to be in. I'm like, it's subtle. And, you, and until you like dive into it and t- mm-hmm. even just talk about it for a few seconds, you're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on here. Yeah. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't seem it at first to be like episode 20 in an episode, in a season. Yeah. yeah. And like, I'm finding that interesting like going back and rewatching this stuff, how a lot of episodes, because of the way TV works now, especially with like the streaming services, like TV shows are, we're getting to sort of like six, eight episodes where like they just do the thing. But when you had TV shows that were like 22, 23 episodes, there were a lot of quote unquote filler episodes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Side quests. Because, yeah. Which yeah. are still important, but like we don't, get those anymore which i do kind of miss yeah a little bit Mm -hmm. sometimes like sometimes you just want the show to do the thing and that's fine but sometimes it's okay to like take a day off and like have your characters like yeah like doing a side quest as you said so i sometimes i actually find myself kind of doing the opposite if i'm watching a streaming show that has to me just like way too many episodes I will watch the first few and then I will get impatient and I will cheat and I will watch the last one to see how it all ends. <laughs> oh, well, that's on you, Rachel. I know it is totally <laughs> on me, but that's because I'm used to these days having like a season of eight episodes. And when yeah. I have like 16, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and when it's 23, 24, it's a yeah. lot of episodes. Mm-hmm. And this just shows in these really long seasons that they had episodes that if you missed one, you missed a lot of information yeah. for the rest of the seasons in a 10, se- 10 season show. Like you could miss some, one episode yeah. and not know how old somebody was or not know the history of something yeah. or not know that something that was pur- purported to be like a, a folktale was a real thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just yeah. kind of grounds you to like, you better watch this stuff. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Don't miss an episode. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Pay attention to all the tidbits, and if you missed it, you would have to have somebody tape it for you. <laughs> and then you know, they'd hand you a VHS tape, and then you'd put it in the machine, and you'd watch it later. <laughs> yep. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore Rewatch, or send us an email at woo, that's W-O-O-S-G, rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Crystal Skull. Bye. 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 Bye.